What did the sun stop doing? Moving? No. Joshua asked the sun and moon to stop all right, but I think he told them to stop speaking. Now, none of you fell out of your chairs, and that's okay, because this is Hebrew picture stuff. He told them to shut up. Being dumb, silent, and mute all share one thing in common, guys. They all refer to someone or something that is speaking. Only speaking. Now, where do I get this? Dean, you're off your rocker, man. You're crazy. Okay, hang on. This is Psalm 19, by the way. Psalm 19. I would like you and me to let the Bible interpret the Bible. Because when the Bible interprets the Bible, it is so awesome and so exciting and so cool. Read this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet, their voice goes out into all the earth to the ends of the world. Now come with me and put on your Hebrew glasses. How do the sun, moon, and stars declare, proclaim, pour forth, and reveal? Because verse three clearly says they have no speech, they use no words. Well, wait a minute. You're telling me they're speaking, but they don't use words. That's exactly what I'm telling you. Slide four says, wait a minute, they do have a voice and they do use words. Wait, they use no words, they're words. Confused yet? <sighs> okay. How do they not have speech, use no words, but their voice goes out and their words to the end of the world? I'm totally confused here. Good. Join me. What we have here is the most awesome example of Eastern thinking that I've ever come across. Rather than a definition, the poet of Psalm 19 gives us a picture. But your question and mine should be, okay, what does the picture mean? What part of the sun, moon, and stars reaches into all the earth? Because doesn't the text say that their voice goes out into all the earth? Okay, so what part of them reaches into all the earth? What? Say it loud. It's their light. I think you're exactly right, by the way. It's got to be the light they produce because light is the only thing that the stars emit that reach the earth. Now, if the starlight declares the glory of God, that he's the designer and the sunlight proclaims the work of his hand. Y'all, what would the sun, moon, and stars have to stop doing if you told them to shut up? Thank you. They'd have to stop shining their light. Psalm 19 tells us what language the heavenly bodies speak. You know what language? They're fluent in lighties. They speak fluent light. I'm not kidding you. The poet of Psalm 19 is not kidding you. All the astronomical bodies speak light. 
It's pretty cool. Even Isaiah 40, 26, listen to this. Isaiah 40 and verse 26, God says, lift up your eyes on high and see. Who do you think created these? God says, it's a rhetorical question. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power. Listen to this, not one is missing. Okay, but how would you know if one was missing? If you look up tonight and you see the Big Dipper or Orion's belt, how would you know if one was missing? You couldn't see it, right? You'd be like, one, two. Aren't there three stars on Orion's belt? Yeah, there's only two. What in the, would that freak you? It would freak me out. But the reason I would know that one of the stars stopped speaking or wasn't present was because I couldn't see its light. Now, this is huge for this text. Guys, the moon didn't stop moving. It stops shining. Just like the sun grew dim or dumb and stopped speaking. Joshua 10, 12, the text says, O sun, stand still at Gibeon, and O moon in the valley of Aijalon. Verse 13 says, so the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation avenged themselves on their enemies. I have a different translation and interpretation, which fits the context far better here, and I think in the entire Bible. This comes directly out of the New American Standard Bible lexicon, which uses Strong's numbers, again, for all the Hebrew words. This is what I think Joshua said. Son, be silent! At Gibeon, moon in the valley of Aijalon, stop it. So the sun grew silent and the moon stopped speaking. Now, the rest of verse 13 says, and the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and, and it did not hurry to go down or set in some translations, for about a whole day. Well, you can't tangle with that, Dean. It says clear as a bell in English that the sun didn't hurry to set for about a day. Oh, I got this covered. Hang on. I thought about this for a little bit. The verb our Bibles translate to go down or set, as in the sun did not hurry to set for about a day, is the word, great word, by the way, say. Bull. In Hebrew, bull. Bull is the verb that our Bibles translate to set. 757 times it's translated to come or to bring. To come or to bring. 16 times it's translated to set, as in the sunset. But did you know that even in these 16 times usages, it actually means to go in or to enter or to go forth? It doesn't actually mean to set. Because the ancients saw that the sun went in or under or into its place for the night before it came out again. And then it went in again. And then it came out again. And then it went in. Do you see what I'm saying? So it doesn't actually mean set. It just means go in or come in. I believe the text should say the sun did not hurry to go instead of the sun did not hurry to go down for about a day. 
A far better rendering of this verse, especially in light of the context, is that the son did not hurry to come in or enter for about a day. Now, I believe that when the son was told to be silent, he cannot refer coherently to anything other than speech. Could you imagine that? Kids whacking his sister on the head and you say, hey, you need to be quiet. And he goes, whack, okay. No, be quiet means don't talk anymore. You're being loud. You need to be quiet. It doesn't have anything to do with movement. Okay. Only one who speaks may be rendered dumb, mute, or silent. I don't believe the best interpretation for the verb doom in this story refers to movement, but rather to speech. All right, its light did not shine forth. Its light did not come in for about a day. Dimming or darkening of the sun and moon has greater explanatory power than ceasing their movement. So let me ask y'all, how does the Bible produce darkness? Now we do know this because we just studied this. How does the Bible produce darkness in the middle of the day? Two ways. Okay, if there was a volcanic eruption, what would it shoot into the atmosphere? Tons and tons and tons, literally, tons of ash. What color would a volcanic ash cloud look like in the sky? Black. It would be black, and what would it block out? Don't you love Exodus when God said it was a darkness that came over the land that could be felt? Yeah. No one has ever understood that. I think that, and you do too, was volcanic ash from the Mount Santorini eruption in 1500 BC. That's a darkness that not only blocks out all the sunlight, but you can feel the slick ash on your skin. Oh, it's choking. It's, it's in your eyes. It's in your mucosa. It's in your throat. It's awful. And that was God's way of saying, hey, raw, where are you? Come on, let's go. Toe to toe, you and me. Oh, I'm sorry, you didn't even show up. <laughs> right? Dink. All right, so cool. So the Bible produces darkness through cloud coverage, one way. What's the other way? Jesus is on the cross. It's 12 o'clock. And the whole land goes dark until three o'clock. How does the Bible produce that darkness? There's a clue there. There's a blood moon. How does the Bible produce darkness in the middle of the day? A solar eclipse, right? Yes, awesome. So God does these two natural ways of producing darkness. Now, the sun either went into total eclipse for Joshua, which it did not, because the text clearly says that the sun was over Gibeon and the moon was over Eidolon. That's kind of cool. So how could the sun go, boop, and jump over behind the moon or the moon jump over across the horizon? It didn't. Unless God does a non-natural miracle and stops being God because he denied himself, contradicted himself, and broke his covenants. He can't do that. Right. So it didn't go into eclipse. So what's the only other way that we get darkness in the middle of the day? Cloud coverage, which is exactly what the context requires if we've got a raging what going on? Storm, a raging hailstorm going on. And I'm going to call for more cloud coverage. Make sense? Yeah, block out 
all the sun and the moon because we want this hailstorm to keep a raging. Why? Because it's helping them. They're, God's killing all their enemies. They don't even have to do anything. That is awesome. Back to the text, verse 14. Here's what it says. There has never been a day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man. What does heed mean? Listen to. What is that a Hebrew expression for? Remember, God says, Israel, if you will hear my voice. It's to obey. It's to do. Exactly. So let me, let me let you listen to the text again. There's never been a day before it or since when the Lord obeyed the voice of a human. For the Lord fought for Israel. It wasn't the hailstorm, y'all. It wasn't even the dimming of the sun that made the day so remarkable. You know what it was? It's that God said, sir, yes, sir. When the little human said, hey, knock it off. And God went, Ugh. do you see what I'm saying? That's what made the day so freakish. Now, here's why I think most people missed this over the centuries. And especially our Jewish brethren. You guys have often heard me say, we cannot fully comprehend the New Testament if we don't understand the old, right? The Tanakh. Well, listen to this. Sometimes, many times, we can't understand the Tanakh, the Old Testament, unless we understand and look at it through the lens of Jesus. Did you hear that? If we don't take Jesus as our cipher, our orphan Annie decoder, our lens, and look at the Old Testament through that lens, and all of a sudden when we focus on Joshua 10, it's like, oh, I get it. But without Jesus, you can't. You can't see it. And this is one of those times. I think this story was recorded exactly the way God wanted it, in anticipation of the time when an even greater Joshua, the Joshua, same name, you know him as Yeshua, which is the nickname of Yehoshua. William, Billy, right? Francis, Frank, actually, Frank. James, Jimmy, Robert, Bob, Yehoshua, Yeshua. That's his nickname. And one day, Yeshua yelled at a storm. That is, Jesus in Mark 4 and Luke 8 commanded almost as if all nature were under his control. The wind and the waves on the Sea of Galilee and they obeyed him. By the way, howling winds and massive swells is a picture of a gigantic storm. You see, only God can do a miracle, any miracle. Jesus never did one miracle in his entire life because humans can't do miracles. Well, Jesus wasn't human. Really? Take that up with Paul. Read Philippians 2, 7 sometime because Paul clearly says Jesus left his wand in heaven. He gave up and emptied out his divine nature and took on the nature of a human being. So Jesus was human and humans can't do miracles. Can you walk on water, Brent? Can you turn water to wine, Michaela? Abigail, have you ever caused the blind to see? Why not? What's your answer? Because we're, 
Because you're human. What if God gives it to you? Could you do it? Shelby, could you heal somebody if God gave you the power to heal? What if God didn't give you the power to heal? What would you not be able to do? Do you ever read the story where Jesus was in Nazareth and he tried to heal people and he couldn't? And the text says, because there was too little faith there. And we think, oh, Jesus, miracle tank ran out of gas. He just sputtered. Oh man, I'm out of gas. You know why Jesus couldn't heal? Because God didn't give it to him in Nazareth. It's pretty awesome. Okay. So only God commands nature. Through Jesus, y'all, I want to I take your minds to this place. Through Jesus, God raises the dead, and that's pretty cool. <laughs> he heals the infirm. Wow. He casts out interdimensional demons. Huh, that's pretty neat. He walks on water. Whoa, Jesus, right? He multiplies bread. Mmm, yummy. But it's not until this miracle where Jesus is on the boat asleep, in the middle of the boat, and the sailors come and wake him up and say, what do you mean, you sleeper? Except they said it like this. Lord, don't you care? We're dying over here. And Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And they stopped, the text says. They stopped. Whoa. But you're, you know, it's funny because it's not until this miracle that the disciples marvel. And in utter astonishment say, who is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. He just raised the dead. No problem. Cast out demons. Oh yeah, that's my rabbi. Healed all the sick. Yep, that's Jesus right there. Walked on water. Oh yeah, he does that on Fridays. He calms a storm and everybody says, oh my gosh, who is this? That commands the wind and the waves. Well, this is crazy. Like why that miracle? Because they know the text. They know Joshua. Only God commands nature. Only God can command the weather. Except for that one time when a human, the Yehoshua, yells at a storm and it obeys him. Y'all, They know that the only human being that ever commanded the weather to change is Joshua. Jesus is all over the Tanakh, the Old Testament, even in the book of Joshua. And looking at the story in Matthew 8, 23 through 27, they woke him, said, teacher, don't you care? We're dying. He wakes up, he rebukes the wind, he says to the sea, peace be still, and the wind stops. But you know what? Jesus didn't say peace be still. I am convinced that he said, Ruach, Galu, Doom. It's exactly what he said to him. And here's why I know that. I don't just think. I think he said, Wind, waves, knock it off. Be silent. Shut up. I promise you. When we ask him, Jesus, what'd you say in English? Like, translate it. He's going to say, well, I told him to shut up. You did, Mr. Dean was right. Just like Joshua yelled at the sun and the moon. Now, what got me thinking about Joshua's long day were not only the vast array of problems, right? In physics, theology, logic, philosophy that we've already talked about. But if Joshua is supposed to be like Messiah, and I think he is, because Jesus is just like Moses, 
Did Moses lead the people into the promised land? No. Who did? Joshua led the people into the promised land. So I know Jesus is supposed to be like the new Moses, the Joshua who led the people into the promised land. Well, then Joshua's adventures ought to be exactly like Jesus' adventures, right? Okay, here, and, and we're finishing here. This is the end. If you look at Mark 4 and verse 26, it says, and the wind and the waves stopped. Now, why do we think that the wind and the waves did not, and Jesus says, stop, and everything just froze in time. Why do you and I see that the wind and the waves stopped and we think, oh, it got calm. Yet in Joshua, when he says, stop, we go, oh, the sun must have stopped, froze in time. Do you understand how we're using a double standard? If Jesus is our lens. Does anybody think the waves just stopped in midair? Just, and played freeze tag? Red light, green light, red light. Joshua, red light, and the sun, green light. Okay, here it goes. Right? This just doesn't make any sense. So, this is really cool. I'm convinced that the sun didn't stand still in the sky because Jesus waves did not stand still on the sea. Jesus raging, ship smashing waves grew silent. They grew dumb. They grew unable to speak. And the water went back to its native tongue. Do you know what language water speaks, by the way? It speaks fluent breeze. But what happens when the wind screams and yells and throws a wall-eyed fit? Like, what does it do? Right? What does wind do? Is it breezing? No, it's becoming What do we say? You can hear the wind howling. That's what wind does when it's really angry. It howls. And you know what you got to do to get the howling wind to shh, shut up? You got to tell it to be quiet. And when Jesus said, knock it off, the wind went, Right? And it was like, well, what language does the water speak? Well, usually it speaks gurgle, <laughs> ripple. But what happens when the sea gets really, really angry? It rages, and the verb in Hebrew is it roars. What's the only other thing in the world you know that roars? It's a lion that roars. Do buildings roar? No, because they don't speak roar. The water speaks roar. Listen to Psalm 98, y'all. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Do rivers have hands, by the way? What sound does it make when the waves? That's how the, that's how the rivers speak to God as they clap their hands. What happens when the rivers get really peeled? Really angry. Well, they might. Rage and howl and creak and crash and scream and throw a tantrum, which is what was happening on the sea when Jesus was there. So, something really wonderful happens when we realize that because Jesus knows the text, like the back of his hand, 
And he knows the stories like the one out of Joshua 10. And because he recognizes the similarities between his situation and those in the same stories, that's why he does what he does. If Joshua, Joshua asked God to intervene in a storm, then Jesus must must ask God to intervene in a storm. Well, Joshua did it. Now I got to do it. If we interpret the story of Joshua and the sun miracle through the lens of Jesus, then Joshua could not have asked God to make the sun and the moon stop moving any more than Jesus asked God to make the wind and the waves stop moving. He told them to shut up, to be quiet, to knock it off, to stop their tempestuous ways. P.S. Does Jesus have the miraculous power to stop a violent raging storm? Nope, he's still human. But Jesus knows who does. That's exactly right. And almost as if this story in Matthew 8 is supposed to be read side by side with Joshua 10, listen to this. Here's how the story of Joshua ends. There has never been a day like it before or since when the Lord listened to the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. God listened one more time to a man. His man, by the way, the man. And when he heard Jesus and did what Jesus told him to do, the Lord fought for Israel. But wait a minute, who was Jesus fighting for? Who was in the boat? Who was he fighting for? How many of them were there? Why were there 12? 12 tribes of? Jesus was fighting for Israel, just like Joshua. Isn't that cool? There's only one deviation, meaning There's only one deviation between the story of Jesus and the story of Joshua. Here here it is. Don't write this down. Just listen to it. Put it on your heart. Joshua yells at a storm so that it'll rage even more so that it'll kill all of his enemies. Jesus yells at a storm so that it'll be quiet and it'll save his friends. He brings perfection and balance to his version of Joshua's story. PPS, by the way, this is the post-postscript. You want to know what two Greek verbs, Mark 4, Matthew 8, Luke, or Matthew 6, Luke 8, use for peace, be still. Because that's what Jesus said on the boat, right? Peace, be still. You know what the verbs are in Greek? Siopa. It means shut up. I promise I looked it up. The word that our Bibles have Siopa in the Greek and the English is peace. It means shut up. And the verb for be still as in, it's not that kind of still. The word is pephimoso, pephimoso. Do you know what it means? It means to put a muzzle on top of. Who wears muzzles? Dogs Dogs to keep them from. And what is biting biting and Barking. barking? What language do dogs speak? Bark, they're fluid in bark. So you put a muzzle on them. So this word means to be silent, to be speechless, or to have a muzzle put on you. Jesus yelled, shut up and quiet down. And the sea, isn't that cool? Are you convinced? Right at the bell. Did I nail that one or what? Okay, bless God.